This week's podcast brought to you by Table Syrup and Aisle Sealers. American Idol was on last night, and our seven-year-old was watching it, and she said, Dad, that lady's only wearing one earring. Isn't that weird? And I said, no, that's not weird. I mean, people can wear one earring, no earrings, two earrings, whatever. Nine earrings. And she said, uh, and I said, by the way, that lady is Katy Perry. And she said to me, that's Katy Perry? I said, yes. She said, do they know she's Katy Perry, or is she pretending to be somebody else? Because she's already a singer. Isn't that cheating? (laughs) Sing says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. This past weekend, I was coaching our daughters. Basketball season at the youth level is winding up, and uh, our sixth grader had a game an hour away, Saturday morning, drove out there, and it was. It was a great game. Our team ended up losing, but the whole the whole game, and even on the way there, my stomach was like in nervous knots, which is ridiculous because these are 11-year-old girls playing basketball. And then the, that later on that afternoon, I was also coaching again our 11-year-old, but also her older sister. And, and I've coached that team for the past seven years since these kids were in second grade. I've got a lot of invested in these kids. I've enjoyed so much coaching them. And if we lost, our season would be over. And again, going to the to the gym, my stomach was kind of in knots during the game. You know, there's this nervous energy or whatever. But after the game, I was completely exhausted. I was physically exhausted. I was mentally exhausted just because I wanted so bad to have one more week coaching this group of kids. And um, it was just funny to me that, gosh, I can't believe that the reaction that my body takes just because when I'm coaching these little kids, it just seems a little bit ridiculous. You were there. You were in the stands. I was in the stands biting my nails down to little nubbins so that the next day, yesterday, I had to wear Lee press-on nails to have something (laughs) else to bite. Yesterday, I had to be in Bristol in studio, so I couldn't coach that same team. And I had to go into Bristol. Not that I had to go in, but I went in to work for three minutes. I was going to be on SportsCenter for a total of three minutes. So I couldn't coach the girls. We won on Saturday, so they got to play yesterday. They got to play Sunday. And so I'm getting text updates from you the whole time that I'm waiting to go on SportsCenter to talk about the NCAA committee's uh, last four in, last four out. And I'm so invested in every text I get, was getting from you about the score. It was a close game. Who was playing well? Anyway, our girls won again. So I get to coach them for one more week. And um, they, they will play this coming Saturday. And uh, I won't be able to be there because I'll be in studio. March Madness will have started. I'll be, I'll be in Bristol all day. But uh, I will be keeping track of all the games I'm supposed to be watching uh, in March Madness. But I will also have an eye on the phone as you tell me whether or not we live to see another day. But no matter what, I know that this week when we practice with that team, it'll be the last time I ever practice with this group of girls that I've been with since they were in second grade. And a few weeks ago, 
I was in Kentucky in Lexington and Mississippi State was playing at Kentucky and, and Vic Schaefer is the head coach of Mississippi State and his daughter Blair is a starting senior on their basketball team and I was just talking to him about being a parent coaching your kid and I was telling him about the emotions I feel now coaching our daughters in youth sports and I asked him if it could be the same and he said yes and his daughter is a pretty remarkable story she went to Mississippi State her dad obviously the coach her freshman year she never started I don't think didn't play a whole lot of minutes sophomore year played a few more junior year played a lot more minutes and this year her senior year she's a really big contributor to their team one of their best three-point shooters takes more charges than anybody else on the team has made herself a great player and he was telling us the story of how after her sophomore year they got crushed by UConn in the NCAA tournament after that game they went back and, and he said in their in their house they don't talk basketball at the dinner table basketball is is kind of outside of the house but he said after you the, the game where UConn crushed them on Mondays is when they have their family dinner now that she's in college and she was over and she said to him, expressed to him that she was thinking about transferring to go somewhere somewhere else where she could get more playing time. The first thing he said to her was, well, we're home. We don't talk basketball here, so come see me in my office tomorrow. I love that. And then when she came to see him, he said what he would say to any other player. If you work really hard, these are the areas you need to improve. And so she did that worked really hard and now she's a huge contributor to a team that played for the national championship last year is one of the favorites to go to the final four this year but i love that as a parent he is still having those same emotions coaching his team but also coaching his his own daughter so that kind of stuff never changes and to make matters more poignant for you no longer coaching our daughter's team our eldest daughter you dropped off at high school today for her shadow day at the high school where she's going to go to school next year. It was it was weird driving her this morning. And I said to her, I said, it's kind of weird having you alone in the car without your three siblings, because right now all four kids go to the same school. And I said, is that kind of weird? And she said, I actually like it. <laughs> well, along the same lines, you talk about coaching your own kid. There's something to be said for not coaching your own kid. And I think it's time for her to not be coached by you, at least you think that, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I've thought that all, all along with her in particular because, you know, she's the one who can fight me when I try to, to correct her in things. So I encouraged her the past couple of years to play for a travel team in Granby, which she did, and to be coached by someone who's not me because um, especially especially for her personality, she needed that, and she'll need that in high school. You know, she, it was funny today because she wears a, a uniform every day to school, and, and today she had to be within the, the guidelines. But she was wearing a pair of shoes that had like a little one-and-a-half-inch heel, these little boots. So I was almost looking her eye-to-eye. And uh, she was getting nervous as we were getting close to dropping her off. But the one thing she's clearly not nervous or self-conscious about is her height, which I love, or else she wouldn't have been wearing shoes that made her even taller. That's one thing that she's proud of. And uh... and I told her before she went, because she was nervous, I said, look, the one advantage you have is nobody's going to be able to stuff you in a locker. They will try, <laughs> but you won't fit. Well, see, I was telling her on the way there, I said, you've seen too many movies. Like, kids aren't that mean to each other. They're going to be nice to you. They'll be friendly to you. Just think of how next year you'll treat an eighth grader who's coming for her shadow day. So, I'm Nor are they going to break into musical numbers in the hallway. Right. <laughs> Although that would be nice. She might. Knowing our daughter, that's something she might do. But uh, yeah, the, the, as they're like spreading their wings and, and, and growing up, it's, it's weird and it's tugging at my emotions. But the basketball piece is 
going to be particularly um, emotional for me when when I'm done with this group of kids who I've been with, with for seven years. You know, no matter if it ends on wins or losses, it's uh, or a win or a loss. It's going to be uh, it's going to be hard. Vic Schaefer has a no basketball talk at the dinner table rule. I assume that doesn't extend to the rest of the day inside the house, or maybe they don't have a dinner table for that reason, but it certainly isn't true at our house. It's It comes up uh, often, way too often. And the other night we were watching the uh, Oklahoma City, who were they playing on? Um, anyway, it was, it was the NBA game on Saturday night. Our daughter said, what's that half circle in the lane? And I said means you can't take a charge if you're inside that that semicircle. And you, without looking up from your iPad, said, unless the play originated in the lower defensive box where you're the primary defender. Well, I was sitting right next to her. I, I was watching a women's college basketball game, and she was watching that. But she asked the question, and before I could answer, you kind of I blustered with my mansplanation, yes. And said, and you, you weren't wrong. And I was explaining, and that actually that rule is different in college. There is no lower defensive box in college, but we were watching an NBA There's game. There's no lower defensive box no one, in the NBA. It's no an imaginary. No one knows what that means. It, it, but officials know. It's and, like the um, Bermuda Triangle. It was it was just my way of uh, of being a little bit obnoxious, but <laughs> and she well, and she still doesn't know what either of those things mean. Consider I've yourself never seen, successful in that regard. Right? <laughs> I've never seen a middle school aged girl take a charge. So, because uh, our daughter said, we need that. I said, you don't need that. We've never seen anyone attempt to take a, a charge. We don't need any restricted area, or we certainly don't need a lower defensive box. But if anybody makes her living in the lower defensive box, <laughs> it's our daughter. A couple weeks ago, you know, talk about things that we might talk about at the kitchen table. A couple weeks ago on the podcast, we talked about me purchasing veggie dip, and that I started buying two so that I could hide one for when I actually had veggies that were cut up for the kids to dip it in and that I'd leave the other one out for you. And right after we did that podcast, I later that day, I was upstairs cutting up vegetables and I went into my secret drawer to find the the dip that I had hidden for veggies and it was gone. You'd eaten that one too. You're not allowed. You're, you're only allowed to eat the one that I leave in plain sight. You can't find the hidden one. Eat it all and not tell me so that after I've cut up all these vegetables, which, which is a bit of a pain in the butt, I have no dip for the kids to dip them in. You do understand that it's not the veggie dip isn't exclusively for or even for vegetables. They just put veggie dip on it. So people who buy it will buy it knowing that they're going to eat a bag of ruffles. But you with knew it. but you knew the reason I had hidden it. I bought two. I left one for you for the chips. You knew the other one was hidden so that you wouldn't use it for the chips. And you still did. And then didn't like write it on the grocery list so I would replace it. You're gonna to have to buy your own dip fridge. I, yeah, I'm gonna to have to. I'm gonna have to have like a, a thing where I hide, hide that sort. I don't want to be the wife who hides. Like usually, people hide cookies or something because they they don't want their spouse to know that they're eating these sweets or something. I shouldn't have to hide veggie dip from you. Veggie dip. Veggie dip. I think it was at one point it was just called dip. <laughs> And then they said, what if we called it veggie dip? And we made people think that this is going to be part of their healthy new lifestyle. Well, nobody, the, nobody buys. I want it part of the healthy old lifestyle. You can, you can still, I, I, I got one for you, for the chips. Leave this one alone. <laughs> First of all, any, any, any veggie that you're dipping into that dip, it's just the delivery system, obviously. So it's, the dip itself is negating any health benefit from, from the little wedge of, of 
green pepper that you're putting so in So your it. argument is that it's it's the same nutritional value to be to be escorting the dip with a chip or to be escorting the dip with a veggie. Yes, yes. That's, that's a in flawed fact, and fact, wrong argument. We should eliminate the middleman, and I should just be using a spoon. <laughs> it should say on the, on the tub, spoon dip. At least when I buy the veggie dip, I, I know what it is, and I, I, am, I know what I'm getting. The other day at the grocery store, I went and, uh, to get real maple syrup, especially because I make these little energy peanut butter ball things that our kids like, and they're, they're pretty healthy, and, and the sweetener in them is real maple syrup instead of unnatural sugars. Anyway, so I go, and, and there's one that looked like it was on sale, and it was in the brown... How do you describe the the maple syrup? A plastic jug. Plastic jug, yeah. So I got it and brought it home, and I opened it and I poured a little bit to make some of these peanut butter energy balls that I was I was making, and I noticed this isn't this the maple syrup I normally buy. Peanut butter energy balls. Peanut butter energy balls. Yes, we'll let that hang right there. It's actually made with um, almond butter, but anyway, I pick up this this jug and it says authentic. Not maple syrup, but table syrup. Was it, it even say organic? It was, I was infuriated. It was basically like Mrs. Butterworth's, or as our kids call it, Mr. Butterpants, or Aunt Jemima, in one of those, in one Nothing of Nothing wrong with Mr. Butterpants or Aunt Jemima. No, no. But it, it was in one of the, the jugs that looked like a real maple syrup jug. It was on the shelf right next to the real maple syrup. And I was so annoyed because I got hoodwinked into thinking I was purchasing real maple syrup and instead it was it was the other sugary well deliberately deliberately hoodwinked obviously because there is no such thing as table syrup is that something you can't get syrup from a table as far as I know unless it's a maple table perhaps or is it syrup that you pour over a table which is in our case of our family happens frequently true but it's the t-a-b-l-e-m-a-p-l-e the b looks like a p they're relying on you to not look too closely, right. and they knowing that you'll be enraged when you get home because you've they've won this round. So there's so there's there's two things here. Either one, they they are trying to trick you, and therefore you only buy it once because you're only gonna be tricked once. As soon as you pour the stuff, you know it's not the real stuff. Or two, people purchase it in the hopes of tricking whoever they're feeding at their table. So if you know. I don't want to spend the extra money for the real maple syrup, but I'll get this. And maybe when my mother-in-law comes to have breakfast, she won't notice. But those are the only two options. They're tricking you and you'll never buy it again. Or they're counting on you feeling a need to trick the people that you're serving it to. I think it's the former. Because there's no other reason to put it in the plastic jug that looks like real maple syrup. And to put the nonsensical phrase that somebody I'm sure got a, a big raise for, table syrup. I posted this on my my personal Instagram page, but I'll make sure to post the picture of this ridiculousness on our Ball and Chain podcast Instagram as well, which is just at Ball and Chain on Instagram. Table syrup is not to be confused with aisle sealers, is it? I don't know what an aisle, I don't know what an aisle sealer is. You don't know what an aisle sealer is. I thought we talked about this this weekend when we were running late. Oh yes, I do know what an aisle sealer is. Go ahead. We were we were running late as we always are for mass on Sunday. And I'm and, always blamed for us running late. And generally, I'm the reason we're running but late. But that's fine because you have to get there 30 minutes earlier early anyway to avoid the aisle sealers. The people who arrive 
20 minutes, five minutes in advance of, of anything. We just notice it at mass. We arrive 25 minutes early to seal off all of the aisles, leaving the center of every pew empty, but requiring us, family of six, to say, excuse me, good sir, would you mind stepping out of the pew so that we could get in there? Or this week. And then they was... sigh deeply and yes. uh, make a big show of shuffling out of the This pew. weekend it was a, excuse me, good madam, because it was a woman. That's the thing, too. So they, they sit at the very ends of the aisle. And Sealing in, in, off the aisles. Yeah, and it's a pew. It's not like there's chairs. It's these benches that go down for people who aren't familiar with this. And when they see our family of six come, they not even a second do they consider just sliding down. They stand up, get out of the way so we can march past them, all of us, to sit in the middle, which is fine. I have no problem right. sitting but, in the middle. But for what advantage? I don't know. Of course know. I have no problem is sitting it, in the middle. There's, there is, is it as if there's a fire they want to have the, the there aisle are, There are six of us. Even if we're on the aisle, most of us are in the middle. Only one person right. is going to be on the aisle. I, I, have, I don't have any idea, but it's been this way for as long as I can remember. When I was a kid, you'd go to church. The aisle sealers were there. They got up to let you in. When our family goes, and, and if, if we're early, but we much, just go and slide down. And with, if somebody comes, we slide down and give them the aisle. They, we don't need to see They get out of the aisle with much sighing and kerfuffle. You know yeah. you know when you arrive first and you seal off the aisle that you're going to have to be constantly moving to let people it's, in and out. I understand at a sporting event, you want to sit on the aisle. At the movies, you want to sit on the aisle. Your kids are going to have to get up frequently to go to the restroom. To go to the bathroom. But not, you don't go at, to the restroom At, at a basketball game, you can, you can stretch your legs out on the aisle. I like an aisle seat on an airplane. It's not happening at, at Mass. At any event where you're only going to be there, in the case of our priest, 45 to 60 minutes, you know, generally our Masses are 45, 50 minutes long. You're not there very long. I do not, I do not at all understand. When, 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 we, when I would have an infant in arms, <laughs> when we would go to Mass and I'd have an infant, I would prefer to sit on the aisle just in case, you know, the kid starts complaining, fussing, and you need to get out. But... I, I absolutely don't understand it, especially when it's the single person who's there and they're just claiming their real estate and, and are not going to budge. We've had a rare period where we've all been home on a Sunday to even attend Mass together. You haven't traveled the last couple of weeks. I was last in an Uber in Milwaukee. I talked about that on a previous podcast, but we've been missing Uber confessions. We need an Uber confession from the, uh, from the vaults from you, if only to introduce our new theme song for Uber Confessions. You've asked for it. People have been demanding it. Before I could even ask, Tom, Dick, and Harry have delivered an Uber Confessions theme. I think more than I think it's more of a segment song. I think you know theme song is kind of for our entire podcast. This yeah. is I would call this the segment song leading into Uber Confessions. It's it's. But how about that? We didn't even have a chance to ask Tom, Dick, and Harry to write the song. They just sent us one because we had talked about how we probably need one. So, you know, I'm going to have a bunch of Uber confessions in about two weeks when I am in Columbus at the Women's Final Four. Until then, Until let's then. Play, we'll, we'll play the full version. It's only about 25 seconds, the full version of the Uber Confessions segment song. And then in future episodes, we may play just play the hit them with a short, poppy, seven-second version. But for now... Before you get to and your... And not poppy meaning David Ortiz is going to be singing it, but... Not poppy meaning it's an it's opiate of some kind based on poppy seeds, but it is it is rather uh, intoxicating. Here it is. Before you tell, give us your Uber confession, Tom, Dick, and Harry is going to give us a hint of Uber confessions. You 
drives part-time, it's not his chosen profession, but it gives him a chance to share his life's lessons. It's time for the segment we call Uber Confessions. Before you start, how great is that? And we'll post the lyrics at some point because nobody can ever understand my brother Tom Russian's uh, enunciation, but go ahead. Isn't that the name of your elementary school? Enunciation. Enunciation. Enunciation it, was, right? It was the name of my, no, I went to Nativity of Mary. My, my nieces, niece and nephew went to Enunciation. A nun's creation, as they say. Ah, very well done. So I had my first Uber ride in Connecticut, because obviously when I'm coming home from the airport, my car, our car's at the airport, or you pick me up, or if I'm going to the airport, same thing. So I needed to get to Hartford to meet you. You were already there, and so I had an Uber come pick me up. And my driver was as normal as a human being can be. He used to work at the post office in Hartford. Uh, he's since retired. And like every other sort of retire, retiree-aged Uber driver, he said he retired and needed to get out of the house <laughs> for the sake of his marriage and the sake of everything he needed to get out of the house. So what are you and I going to do Like when we, when we retire? I mean, we, we spend a lot of time together in the house now, but it's doing work. When we retire, what is going to... I mean, you're not going to be an Uber driver because no, you but, get lost going everywhere. But so. like that guy, when I retire to get out of the house, I'm going to take Ubers. I'm just going to have that guy <laughs> will drive me around. We'll kill time Drop together with up, no destination. And then and then you'll call another Uber. The difference is be... at the end of the day, I'll be paying him. Right. <laughs> for his companionship. You know what? No, it's actually going to probably happen is we'll be in the house and I'll say to you, you got to go. I'll call you an Uber. <laughs> I'll have it come pick you up. And I'll tell the driver, he's not allowed back until 6 p.m. <laughs> we have to end this segment just so just so Tom, Dick, and Harry can do the Uber outro. Listen to this. Uber Confessions. When we're done recording this, I have to go into Bristol because today it's Monday and we have our big uh, selection show Monday. All the brackets are going to be re- revealed and all the excitement. So I think right now we need to move on to viewer mail, which is one of my favorite parts of this. I really enjoy the interactive nature. I like how people, we're getting a lot of emails now, ballandchainpod at gmail.com. So a lot of people sending questions, comments, topic ideas. Keep them coming, please. Also take them off Twitter at, what is that? Ballandchainpod. It's the same, but at Twitter instead of at Not email. yet a uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry segment theme for viewer mail we could probably make this whole show segment themes and put out a cd but we won't do that but we've had some really good questions from my friend josh in wyoming so i think we need to have some more wyoming wisdom today what um, wyoming wisdom wyoming wisdom so what was his question from today josh's question of this week is why is airport traveler etiquette so bad why is it that the place the one place is tolerated and people don't get called out for being rude and disrespectful. Why is the airport that place? Or is it just that everyone is so condensed that the bad apples are more noticeable? I've been actually meaning to to talk about this for quite a few weeks now on the podcast, and it's most noticeable in the airport. But the language that people use and the F-bombs that are flying just, and not in an angry tone, but the, the the way people just use the F word, um, freely. It it blows me away. I'll I'll be just walking down the terminal waiting to get to my gate and I'll hear it multiple times, just people having a conversation. And it's loud enough that I, a stranger who's not part of their conversation, can hear. Then you sit at the gate and same thing. There's somebody's having a conversation and they're casually using curse words and it's unnecessary and 
I have to say it bothers me a little bit. I mean, we've had it happen where we're walking with our kids and people are so unaware of their circumstances or, or their surroundings, I should say. They're so unaware of their surroundings. They'll be dropping curse words. I've got a little kid right next to me. But it is more noticeable at the airport than anywhere else. And I sometimes don't know why I'll that be, is. Sometimes I'll be sitting at the bar at the airport at 530 in the morning. I'll hear an <laughs> F-bomb and my jaw will drop directly into my gin and tonic. Right. There you go. It goes right into your frothy mug of beer. Yeah, maybe that's part of it. Maybe because people speak a little bit more like that when they're when they're lubed up. Maybe people are drinking more at the airport and therefore speaking that way. I don't think that's what it is, though. I, I just think I don't know what it is, but it, it is definitely, definitely noticeable. And uh, the last time I did fly, I was in the Detroit airport and I heard I overheard a guy at the gate come over and he had his Starbucks and he was complaining to his friend that there was not enough caramel in his caramel macchiato or caramel in his caramel macchiato like he was really he was satisfied with the amount of macchiato yes apparently the macchiato was fine but the caramel was not and he was he was not saying this as a joke he like if, if this was you you'd come over and say oh there's not enough caramel in my caramel macchiato he was honestly saying you know i watched her pump the the syrup and i could tell there wasn't gonna be enough caramel and and i was just sitting, sitting there thinking is there no part of you that's self-conscious as these words are tumbling out of your face? Has he not seen like 100 pieces of sketch comedy where the guy throws his hot uh, Starbucks cup at his personal assistant and says there wasn't <laughs> enough caramel in his caramel macchiato? Well, that's funny, too, because anytime you go to Starbucks, people hold Starbucks cups and perhaps it's all coffee and, and hot beverage cups. I don't drink coffee. You and, don't drink coffee. But hot chocolate. Say it's the same thing. People hold those cups and two sort hands of in and an intimate way they'll like run their finger around the the top they'll they'll hold the it two-handed they, thing yes where they, yeah. they like they caress it's very npr you know uh coffee talk yeah, yeah it's but it's it's just like a really it's it's a it's something you don't see with a mcdonald's soda cup i don't think you'd see it with even a mcdonald's coffee cup i would say the closest equivalent is peeling the label off of your beer bottle that you know if you've been sitting around in a bar but that but that isn't caressing it that's like peeling it like and, and maybe it's, it's, it's 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 stripping it yeah oh there you go well I, then then one is <laughs> that beer bottles for men in the in the Starbucks cups for women, perhaps, but and, and it has that brown sleeve, so you don't burn your hands. I don't know, but next time anyone's at a Starbucks, just watch how people hold their beverage cups, and you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna move on. This is from uh, Andy. Writes he and his wife were thinking of words with double I. We talked about this in the last podcast mm-hmm. um, because I have been taxiing with two eyes consecutive eyes thinking about words with double eyes you like come skiing. up with ski taxi hawaii Is skiing that it? hawaii uh i think those are the uh, only no, ones no no radii the multiple of radius anyway several people mentioned andy is one of them he and his wife had come up with shiitake such a great word shiitake s-h-i-i-t-a-k-e those are uh, mushrooms can can you put those aren't those mushrooms they are mushrooms can you put those in veggie dip I'm sure you could. Is that allowed? I'm sure you could. He also adds that weren't those hotel bed vibrators called magic fingers? They were indeed called magic fingers. I've never, because I saw that he put that in a a tweet as well. I've never heard them called magic fingers. Well, I mean, how often do you stay in a hotel that still has coin-operated magic fingers? That's what it should should be called when you strip the the label off a beer bottle. Right. Magic fingers. There you go. There's a magic Irvin Johnson joke in there as well but the uh, <laughs> somebody else i wish i had the names uh, some a gentleman contacted us on twitter i can't remember his last name now but his last name had 
consecutive eyes in it. It was something like, it was pronounced like fear, like F-I-I-H-R or something. That wasn't his last name, but I, th- I think it was something like that. Somebody else said that uh, the, the plural of genius is genii, G-E-N-double-I. Well, that's what's in our basement right now. Genii. Genii. <laughs> it so seldom comes up that there are two geniuses in one place that you would, that's why we don't require that word. But um, here we are. We're, here's the exception. Next, you had mentioned your Sears catalog dream was to get a ventriloquist. J.C. Penney catalog. They were very different, although also very much the same. Well, Rachel was the the Sears wish. Right. Rachel writes, oh, how I laughed when you talked about the J.C. Penney Christmas catalog and Rebecca talked about wanting the ventriloquist doll. When I was nine or 10, I wanted the Charlie McCarthy doll. That was all that I asked for. Sadly, I didn't get it that year. First of all, it was the only thing you asked for. You got other things, but you didn't get the one thing that you asked for, the perversity of Santa and parents. Well, but that was our daughter two Christmases ago because the her biggest gift that the one she most wanted, she let Santa know two days before Christmas. Right, 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 so right. she didn't get that, but, but got but there's, plenty there's of other a happy, things. happy ending. Happy ending here. Magic fingers. Fast forward to Christmas 11, 12 years later. She's now 20, 21 years old. I open a box and have no earthly idea what it is. As I continue to open the, d- the box, I suddenly realize that my parents have bought me a Charlie McCarthy ventriloquist doll. All I could do was laugh. My dad said that they couldn't figure out what to get me. My mom remembered that I'd once asked for a Charlie McCarthy doll that she didn't get, so they bought it as a joke. It's still sitting in a box, same as it was the first year she got it. The best thing I ever got and received from the JCPenney catalog was a Hank Aaron autographed baseball. Remember that. Can, you could purchase baseball player's autograph out of the J.C. Penny Out of catalog. something that wasn't Sky Mall. How about, this is what I would say, her parents getting her that gift when she was in her 20s. Thoughtful. Thoughtful gift. Our, our, a, little, our children, a, little bit, a little bit guilt trip induced as well. Fine. But our, our children better hope that mom is buying the, the gifts when they become adults because they will be thoughtful. Dad will send them. We'll replenish their Uber account. But uh, I'll, I'll get them something thoughtful. Rachel is a Vols fan, incidentally. I don't think that was just incidentally. I think that was, didn't she say I'm a, a fan of the podcast, which is saying something which because saying I'm a lady Vols fan? A, yeah, UT Vols fan. So. Like, just My dad played just, football for the UT Vols, incidentally. And and he and I get along just fine. It's it's okay. I, I can like I like Carol Lawson a lot. She played for the Vols. It's okay. We can all get along. This gentleman, let's see. Where, where are we here? We have uh, Myra. Myra writes that uh, she calls me out on a, on a viewer mail correction, and I'm glad she did because as soon as I said it, I realized I was wrong, and everyone back and corrected it. I enjoy listening to your podcast. However, I do need to make a correction from two weeks ago concerning a reference to Eddie Albert being known for appearing in Petticoat Junction. He was not on that show but did star in Green Acres. Green Acres was the place to be. Farm living was the life for me, et cetera. Land spreading out so far and wide. Take Manhattan, give me that countryside. I remember watching that show when I was homesick. It was the only time I ever, would ever watch it. If I was homesick from school, Green Acres was, uh, was but, on but tap. But it's understandable that I momentarily confused the two because for a time, every show on CBS was set in the country. There was Green Acres, Petticoat Junction, uh, Gomer Pyle, Mr. Ed, Beverly Hillbillies, Andy Griffith Show, so much so that in the early 70s, CBS took them all off of the air more or less at the same time because while they were getting big viewership numbers, their demographic was almost entirely... A rural, or at least their their programming, and that was, did not appeal to the advertisers, is well, my guess. Well, it, it, it I I just read this that uh, the head of CBS programming at the time said, um, I understand that people twenty five to thirty six are the living in Scarsdale are the ones who buy refrigerators, but we can't aim all of our programming at that demo. 
So, but see, this is one of the things that's very interesting about being married to you is very few people in conversation would bring up something like you just did. And I know it's part of your research or your reading or whatever, but um, you'll be walking through the kitchen and something will come up and it'll be, by the way, all these programs were on in the 1970s well, on CBS and they were taken off at the same time uh, because they appealed to rural a, viewers. A quick look at Wikipedia will, will show you that um, CBS, when taking these things off the air, part of it was a reflection of the fact that, okay, Andy Griffith's show set in Mayberry in the 1960s as all of this cultural revolution is happening, but it's not reflected in Mayberry. That's one of the reasons people watched the show. It was a this safe haven from, you know, what they were seeing on the television news, but uh, it didn't reflect the culture no, I'm, I'm at, just at saying all. a quick look at Wikipedia and, would and, show and, that, and, but no one else and, would and, punch and, that into and, Wikipedia. And, but, but, and more than that, Gomer Pyle set on a U.S. Marine base during the Vietnam War in which Vietnam never never came up in conversation. It seems a bit odd. Myra also adds, uh, and, and I love this, we were talking about words that are unique to your family or you, th- you don't realize that um, you were the only one using them. Myra says, a friend and I, both Minnesotans, were in Florida and following a number of cars with their turn signals blinking away for no particular reason. It happens a lot in Florida. I complained about all the tickdees, T-I-C-K-D-E-E-S, one word, all the tickdees. To me, it's a common word that means a car's turn signal, and onomatopoeia makes it obvious even if you're not familiar with the word. To my surprise, my friend had never heard the word tickdee and had no clue what I was talking about. Myra writes tickdee, noun, a car's turn signal originated from the sound made inside the family car from one's childhood, a 1960-something Chevy Bel Air. And that's what those turn signals sounded never like. Heard, I had never heard the term tickdee. But when you just said onomatopoeia, anytime I hear the word onomatopoeia, I think of my high school English teacher, Mr. Miller, because I remember him standing, he had this beard, he looked like a professor standing in front of the class and talking about onomatopoeia. And our example is going to be, I think it was Edgar Allan Poe, Edgar Allan Poe's bells, 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 when the word sounds like the sound it's making. So I digress. But onomatopoeia, shout out to Mr. Miller. (laughs) Mr. Miller, a bell doesn't sound like a bell. Otherwise, we would call it a ding. (laughs) <laughs> and back to words that you only use in your house tanya sent us a tweet at, at ball and chain pod and she said her parents would call passing gas bootsies <laughs> bootsies bootsies and she said they also went to garage sales but what that's what everyone else calls tag sales but we call them both we call them tag sales and garage sales what did you call them? we called them exclusively called them garage sales and that's what that's what we call them in minnesota okay. it well, makes some... you sound like you're selling your garage but tag sale it makes no more sense well, yeah because you put a tag on it with the price and then gail said when she was a kid she ate quote eggs you can dip for breakfast and so one time in high school when she went out for breakfast and the waitress asked her how she wanted her eggs done she said i want eggs you can dip and the waitress <laughs> looked at her like she was crazy obviously she meant over soft so not like you can dip your toast in yes 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 with a side of table syrup instantly right (laughs) by the way was over soft something that you said in your house i meant over easy obviously over easy bill says a lot of nice things about the podcast and then writes i don't think it's far-fetched to think i had a few years and see how this mr mom and mrs dad having each other's backstory could end up as a network sitcom there are shows out there based on much less interesting premises i think it could be a nielsen winner certainly in saint pete would that appeal to our uh, our, our advertisers? <laughs> would would that would that be a show that would it would have to appeal to not just St. Pete and the rural areas, but would have to appeal to the cities, right? I so we, we could sell pitch refrigerators. It, pitch it to CBS as a rural sitcom, like the, the rural juror, the rural on, juror. <laughs> on, on uh, Thirty Rock. 
Uh, no, we, we did once uh, uh, were approached about turning our marriage into a sitcom. This is before we had kids or after we had kids? Uh, no, we had kids because we brought one of them out oh, to, right. to the rooftop of the Sunset Hyatt Riot House while we were talking to CBS about this. And we ended up writing a pilot uh, with an existing sitcom producer. And uh, and that pilot was not filmed. But, but the name of the pilot was, or the it, name of the show was. It changed was. many times. But it, the premise was a a couple. The guy was married to the professional athlete, not vice versa. And uh, the last iteration of the script was called Balls, a Romantic Comedy. I can't believe that it wasn't picked up. We should We should rework the script. And maybe it could be, we could retitle it Balls and Chains. And uh, and repitch it. What do you oh, think? Well, I think that's a, I think that's a slam dunk. Yes, <laughs> that's a terrible uh, idea. Do they say that in Hollywood? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, Scott writes, "Love the pod. I'm 1966 boy, as am I from Wyzetta High School in the Twin Cities, class of '84. My class now living in Chanhassen. Does that make me a cake eater? Yes, I suppose it does. What, what's for those who don't live in Minnesota? Is Chanhassen in Chanhassen the Minneapolis would be a, area. a Tony Leafy suburb of Minneapolis? Yes, much Tony like Tony and Leafy. Yes, Tony okay. and Leafy. They are also the they morning also crew band, on KDWB. Right? <laughs> Tony and Leafy in the morning. He's in Tony and Leafy Chanhassen. Cake eater is generally reserved for Tony and Leafy Edina in Minnesota. E D I N A. Every day I need attention. The, my my book. That's out now. It's Thingray Afternoons, the audio books version of it. The guy who reads it has a beautiful voice and does a great job, but I'm told he pronounces Edina as Edina, which I kind of enjoy. But anyway, Scott from Tony and Leafy Chanhassen uh, writes, he has two questions. One, I haven't noticed any commercials or money-making schemes in the pod. Are you just doing this for fun? We should come up with a money-making scheme. It, it makes it sound like some kind of a, a scam, like we're selling people table syrup. Right. Well, I think it'd be fun in the middle of uh, in the middle of the podcast to just pause for some read. Yeah, for like for table syrup, you know, for something that looks like it's going to taste good on your waffles but doesn't. Buy table syrup at whatever. Yeah, we, I think we, that's a good idea. But but I, I like the way Scott's thinking. He hasn't noticed any commercials. He would like more commercials right. in his life. <laughs> We could we should take a break in the middle and have a fake sponsorship deal. Tom, Dick, and Harry could do a uh, a, do jingle. a jingle. Yeah. Well, but we do at the, we do that at the beginning. The brought to you by is sort of But that's of more of a, an ode to Sesame Street. To, yes, the that's number true. nine and the letter E. Right, right. Secondly, you probably don't have time for movie movie reviews, but I'd be interested in your review of Lady Bird, teenage girl in a Catholic school. It's a bit slow, but I especially like the subtle performance of the dad and the portrayal of high school boys. I haven't seen Lady Bird nor any other movie that. Uh, wasn't animated this year, but the perversity of it is, as a as a paid-up member of the Screen Actors Guild, you get these screeners for all of the Oscar and SAG Award SAG Awards. Yeah, I, um, so, finalists, and so we have Lady Bird. We have the screeners for every Oscar bait movie out I, there on our family room mantle that have sat there unwatched because forget about time for movie reviews, we haven't had time to view a movie. Not that we haven't had time to. We're We've too just busy been, watching and explaining the restricted area block charge rule. Yeah, I, I and I became a member of the Screen Actors Guild back in the late 90s when I was filmed a part, uh, a cameo on Jerry Maguire. We've talked about that before, I believe. My, my scene was cut out of the movie, but you stay a member of the Screen Actors Guild as, as long as you pay your dues. So I pay my dues every year. And so every year, you know, the month leading up to this, uh, the SAG Awards, we get all these screeners. And... Um, 
and we don't have a chance to watch them. So we do. We have a pile of the movies. If sometimes it's you know while well, they're still in theaters, that's what we'll do when 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 we retire. We'll drive around. Have somebody drive an Uber. Drive us around while we watch all these years of screeners on uh, on a device. I'm also was invited into the Screen Actors Guild for my speaking role in the short-lived CBS drama Clubhouse, and I got a letter from Melissa. The, uh, from Little House on the Prairie, who oh, was right. the president of the Screen Actors Guild, a form letter, clearly. But it required me to get my card to go into an office in New York or Boston. I've never done that. But, uh, but, but I th- no, this, this was before the Screen Actors Guild is, is movies. AFTRA was TV. This was so the Screen Actors Guild. So this must have been AFTRA. And, the but they Actors have since Guild. merged. It wasn't. It was. It was the Screen Actors Guild. Okay. Don't try to big time me with this. Well, I thought yours was the movie. It was I've, the TV card. I've got the and mine somewhere was the movie card. out there, and it was addressed to Steve Rushkin, R U S H K. And I didn't know if I didn't know if it was because they misspelled my name or because there's already an existing Steve Rushkin and SAG, so right. that I have and to be SAG, Steve Rushkin. You have to it's go the by same it. way that all these people have middle names. Right. You, that's what I was just going to say. I'd be you, Stephen Joseph you, Rushkin. Yours would be S Joseph Rushkin. That would be yeah. your SAG. Who was the kid from Home Improvement that everybody liked? He had three names, and then he went by his three initials. Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Jonas, JTT. Yes. I'd be SJR. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you, too, would have your poster hanging up in the I basement of a, all these a, a, little a, a trifold poster in Tiger Beat. <laughs> this was a sort of a random question that Margie sent me on Twitter, but I like it. She says she wants to know where I keep my gold medal. And after we came back from Atlanta, after I came back from Atlanta, my parents had a safety deposit box at their bank. And so I put my gold medal in their safety deposit box because I was still traveling and doing all that sort of thing and uh, and playing. And you and I were married and had, I think, all four of our children before we were watching the the Olympics. From uh, London, 2012. From London, 2012. So our youngest was almost two. And our oldest was five years old. No, she was seven years old. And we're watching the the medal ceremony, and she said, Mom, you have one of those, don't you? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, can we see it? And we said, you know what? This is a little silly. Yes, I've got a gold medal, and the kids have never seen it. You'd never seen it because I knew you would just put it around your neck and stand at the pool and pretend you had just, you know, like Mark Spitz or uh, Michael Phelps won your gold medal. Anyway. I grew a mustache for that very purpose. (laughs) It took you, what, two days? So so we drove to the, the bank with the kids, was right as the Olympics were going on. We went in and I, you know, got the key and brought the the gold medal out. It was in this this beautiful wooden box that they give it to you in. And the, the kids were looking at it right there. And the people, the tellers, the bank tellers behind the counter were kind of looking. So I brought it over and showed well, them. Well, the first and, thing you said when they opened the crypt that it had been kept in was, I wonder if it still smells like beer because the last <laughs> time you had seen it. We'd been celebrating our gold medal victory. Yeah, it would have smelled like beer or champagne. And um, But it was fun because, you know, I was showing it to the, the bank tellers and, and, you know, they're afraid to even touch it. And I was like, you can put it on if you want. Our kids got to see it. We brought it home. And some of the kids in the neighborhood came by and, you know, got pictures putting wearing the gold medal. So uh, so that was a lot of fun. But, yes, it's some back. Of the, in some the, of the kids in the neighborhood, the UPS guy, everybody who came by was putting it on and, and taking a Because we were just it. standing in the driveway with a sign that said, a gold medalist lives here. The thing everybody wants Come to do with the gold hello. medal is bite it. And you know what? You, that wasn't a thing. In 1996, that wasn't a thing. I never It was had... because underdog preceded that in the 60s. An underdog at the beginning. Well, I'm just saying the, it wasn't a thing for us. I had never heard of it. I had, had never you know, bit the gold medal until we got it in 2012 and it was now become a thing. You were were never a 
newsboy at a newsstand of the 1930s wearing a flat cap when somebody <laughs> would toss you a coin for the newspaper, you would bite into it to test its authenticity? No, I, I tend to intentionally not bite things to test their authenticity. Well, Touche. <laughs> Andy M. has an interesting viewer mail. He has his rant of the day concerns people who turn on their four-way flashes while, when driving in the snow. He finds it extremely annoying. We're all driving slower because it's snowing. We know it's snowing. Don't turn your flashes on. That's fine. And I probably shouldn't have said this. So I, I should say this with a caveat because three days later, Andy writes to withdraw his rant of a few days ago. I'm rescinding my rant of a few days ago. I criticize people who use four-way flashes while driving this out. Well, two friends, one of whom works at DOT, the Department of Transportation, told me that motorists are required to use flashes when driving on the interstates at speeds under 40 miles an hour, regardless of conditions. Now, I don't think he was talking about the interstate. I find I, it I just love the fact that that's what our ball and chain pod at gmail.com has become. Somebody wants to rant about something, so they rant about it to us in the email. And then three days later, they but how email many, to rescind their rant. But how many people rant? have, the, have the, uh, the integrity these days to rescind their rant? I, I love that. I mean, I think that's, that's how you should operate because you rant about a lot of things, whether it's, you know, our kids not putting their dirty laundry in the hamper or whatever. I think you should have a cooling off period. I think you should go and write down your rant or say your rants to yourself. And then it doesn't have to be three days, but maybe give you a three hour cooling off period and then decide whether or not you want to rescind your rant. I think that would be good for some some men out there maybe some women too but people who have who have quick tempers that would be good lara or lara you don't want to you don't want to rescind my rant yeah you don't want to even comment I, on I, no, that no I, I would but i think all of my rants have pretty much stood up to the test of time and <laughs> okay. I, I wouldn't I, I, regrets i have a few but but all of my rants i think have been uh, well justified lara or lara writes among other things that Rebecca mentioned something about AAU having a national tournament back in the good old days. I played in one and wondered if maybe she was at the same tournament. Yep, she has an attachment of the program indicating Rebecca was a cougar with a capital C before being a cougar meant something different. You were a cougar before you were I a cougar. I was a cougar before I was a cougar. Yes, I played for the Central Mass Cougars. That was the name of our, our team, even though I lived in Western Massachusetts. This let, is how much. Let, let's be clear. They were the Central Mass Cougars in the early 80s. Sometime in the mid-80s, they became the Central Mass Cougar Melon Camps. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Then it just became the Central Mass Melon, <laughs> melon camps. camps. Yes, exactly. And uh, this how tells you how much AAU has changed. Now there's, it seems like there's an AAU team in every town. Back in, in the 90s, early 90s, there was not an AAU team in Western Massachusetts. In the entire part of Massachusetts, the entire Western part of the state. So I had to drive on the weekends. My dad would drive me an hour and a half to go practice for the Central Mass Cougars. And uh, now when you, you've been with me, when we get together with some of my former teammates. Some of um, whom are Central Mass Cougars They now. live in Central Mass. Yeah, we, all, we are all of the age that we are, insert the geography here, Cougars. So uh, um, there you go. She, she has two other attachments, which are, which are priceless. One is a, a USA Today life section from 1989 that she had dug up for a project that she's working on. And it says uh, it's on the 10-year anniversary of the Sony Walkman. And the, the, uh, the teaser on the front page says, 10 years with the Sony Walkman. A decade after their introduction, is the Walkman making us too introverted? Are we too focused on our personal stereo device with the styrofoam, the uh, foam uh, earphones? 30 years later, that seems, uh, that seems somewhat quaint, doesn't it? That seems a bit antiquated. And, and that gets me to thinking of our... No, seven. no, I don't think it was antiquated. I think it was right at the correct at the time. Right. Well, just but, but it's how much it's how much doubled, more introverted, down, yeah. introverted we are now and narcissistic. Our our seven year old said to me yesterday, "Can you please pull up the the pictures on the computer because she wanted to look at pictures from when she was little. She's seven, 
and yeah, she wanted to look at pictures we, from we loved when to watch home movies when we were kids little. and it required my dad hanging the bed sheet in the basement and putting putting out the projector and eventually inevitably you know there'd be the hair ticking in the film frame and then the, the frame would burn up as you're watching it on the bed sheet and then there'd be smoke billowing from the the Super 8 projector, and then my dad would be cursing, and it would be over. But and for a brief shining moment, we got to see our younger selves, and that was pretty cool. And in, in our seven-year-old's defense, her birthday last year, for her birthday, I gave her a photo album filled with pictures of her from when she was little because we have, I don't know, five or six actual photo albums in our basement, and they are of all of her siblings. And I had not done – had had not printed out any pictures of her, put it, put it in any photo album, hung it up anywhere in the house. She would look at these photo albums and say, is this me? Is this me? Is this me? And the answer was always no. So finally for her birthday last year, I gave her a photo album full of pictures of herself at various ages. So she knows that I've spent a little bit of time on it. And along those lines, Kevin on Twitter asked about books your kids have read and or are reading and enjoyed. And we read a thousand books to our oldest, 500 books to our next, 200 books to our third, and five books to our, our fourth kid. Uh, fortunately, they have all become readers on their own, and I could, Kevin, I could give you a million books that the kids have loved off the top of my head. With our oldest, we read The Princess Bride together and loved it. William Goldman, you know, based the, that the movie was uh, based on. My son and I read, just read a series of books called The Mysterious Benedict Society. Uh, our 11-year-old and, my 11-year-old and I are reading a book called The Candy Makers right now. That makes me think of Roald Dahl and all of the Roald Dahl BFG, books. BFG, all the kids BFG, love that Charlie book. and the Chocolate Factory, all that stuff. My son got uh, from your dad football fiction by Tim Green for, for Christmas, and he loved it. And then he went to the library and got another Tim Green football book out. Uh, he had to read the Narnia books for school. We've read the first few of those, loved it. Our 11-year-old loved Mr. Lemoncello's library. I haven't read these, but um, pretty soon Elena Deladon has a, has a book coming out, I think, for girls who play basketball. I'm not sure the age level. I think it might be middle school age, but there's so many sports books for boys. Um, kudos to Elena for, for coming out with a, with a series, I believe, that is aimed at girls who are enjoying sports. Yeah, our son loves the I Survive series, the Who Is, Who Was series, Ramon and Beezus, all that stuff. So there's a million of them. Um, our show's resident OBGYN to Ball and Chain, Dr. Gary Siegel writes. I love that. Do we need a theme song or a, uh, a segment song for the OBGYN? We could do this that, whole th- that could be clever and creative. We could have a special Tom at Dick some point. Harry. Maybe if we do a live show. Uh, our friend Michael in Kansas City has invited us. He said if we do, we, we talked about doing intensity in 10 cities. Mm-hmm. He suggests obtusity in two cities, one of them being Kansas City. He'll host us. And then he said, he said we put the other city up for bid. But, uh, but Dr. Gary Siegel Grew up in Atlanta, 10 minutes from the Sears Catalog Distribution Center for the entire Southeast. And the beauty of that was 10-minute drive away, their orders were ready within hours. Everybody else's orders, as you may remember from the JCPenney catalog, required 8 to 10 weeks for delivery. Why did everything require 8 to 10 you, weeks for delivery, you know or what? 6 to 8 weeks, or 4 to 6 weeks? Or I never understood as a kid, because we didn't order that much out of a catalog, but, but the... The holy grail when you were a kid was to order something out of a ser- from a cereal box, or even you'd hear the commercials on Saturday morning during cartoons. It cost this much plus four ninety five for shipping and handling, and and I never understood what handling meant. Of course, it's somebody I guess putting the item in an envelope. Sounds like something to do with magic fingers or perhaps the right. uh, coffee fondling <laughs> at, at Starbucks. Yes, but it, but it took forever when you would send the UPC symbol or whatever but, in for but, the cereal box. It took forever. Right. But, but, but was but there anything wrong with that? No, you was that good was, to wait? Good to have anti- to wait for something. Anticipation was was half of the glory of it all. 
Now, remember when glasses in about an hour was a thing? Like, you can get your glasses in an hour. Who needs your glasses? I mean, who needs glasses in Forget an hour? That. Do you remember when? How do you get to this glasses store if you don't have glasses and well, require them in an hour? You... And now people are like, I've got to wait an hour. Well, I, what am I supposed to do? I'm going to have to go to Starbucks and get a I caramel just... mochiato and throw it in somebody's face. I remember being so excited when you could get your film developed in an hour. Because when you were a kid, you'd bring your film. It would take a week or two. At that point, you had you didn't even remember what pictures were on there. Because you were hoping to get one good one you, out of the yeah, 24 you, you that you shot. You took the pictures. It took us forever to even drop off the film or have my parents drop it off. And now it's like you look at it immediately, add, delete move on to the next one there's there's something that that is missing in in that part of our our world now where you actually really wait for something and get the gratification of waiting and the anticipation and the, the wonderful part that follows and finally our our resident band nerd on the show carol who frequently writes to us says uh, this band nerd story involves the first time we were weren't the talk-stopping entrance on an elevator. We talked about being on an elevator. You stop, everybody stops talking when you go on an elevator, the etiquette of they being They weren't the talk-stoppers. Right. Got it. We'd arrived back to our hotel in our performance uniforms at some kind of convention. Bellhop, valet, doorman-looking outfits, we've all seen it. You wore the tall hat right. as a 6'4", saxophone player in the high school band that made you 6'10". This trip, we were staying at a nice hotel near the convention center. A few of us just managed to crowd our way into the closing elevator. It was full of adults dressed as stuffed animals. <laughs> I'd been to computer shows, cat and dog shows, a Star Trek convention, a bowling alley. None prepared me for that. It was the 80s, and I didn't know about an entire culture. This email is headed FurCon. All I can think of is the episode of uh, of Entourage, or the furry episode. Yes, yes. So. This is the, the, the final line, and I think this is a yes. note to end on for this week, and we'll, we'll just kick it straight to Tom, Dick, and Harry. <laughs> there and our room, there and our room hopping parties started merging. A raucous time spurring numerous noise complaints. Tom, take it, Harry. <laughs> Play us out. Sing says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pet live in the cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and ambiguous What we give for a little rest Stay by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane